everybody doing this morning? Good? Good time of worship? Come on, you guys felt the presence of the Lord? Come on, because if you didn't, you guys must have been asleep or something. I don't know. Amen. If everyone could just turn to Exodus chapter 3. I have the privilege this morning of bringing the word of the Lord, and it's an honor. I pray that God will use me. Lord, help me. Amen. Exodus chapter 3. Can I get an amen when you get there? Amen, amen. Here in Exodus chapter 3, we're going to talk about the calling of Moses. This is, as you see the subtitle, Moses and the Burning Bush. That's when Moses met with God. Amen? You understand that now? Just to give you a little background of how it led up to that, where uh, God, where Moses met with God and God commissioned Moses, just to give you a little history, in Genesis chapter 15, if you could turn there really quick, Genesis 15:13. God is making a covenant with Abraham here. See, this goes back, way back. God is making a covenant with Abraham. What did he say to Abraham? He says, then the Lord said to him, to Abraham, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. And they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. Talking about the Israelites being a land not their own, Egypt. And what does he say? They're going to be slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterwards, they will come out with great possessions. So God, this is a covenant that he's establishing with Abraham. He says, your descendants, the Israelites, are going to, you could go back to Exodus chapter 3. They're going to be slaves. They're going to be oppressed for 400 years. But don't worry, I got their back. I'm going to deliver them. You understand that now? So now the book of Genesis ends with Joseph. He's dying. Joseph is the the son of uh, Jacob, Jacob the son of Isaac, Isaac the son of Abraham. And so Joseph, because he had favor with the king of Egypt, uh, became ruler of Egypt. So now Joseph is the ruler of Egypt, and because he had favor with with the king, he was able to bring his whole family to Egypt, and pretty much his whole family, the Israelites, were going to be taken care of in Egypt. So now between the time between Joseph died and Israel started to get persecuted was about 220 years, according to scholars. So now the book of Exodus starts in chapter 1 saying that now there's a new king that didn't know nothing about Joseph. Had no idea who Joseph was, probably didn't even care. He saw the Israelites, he saw that they were multiplying, they were getting bigger and bigger, didn't like that. So he told his people to oppress them, to treat them badly, pretty much turned them into slaves. And the Bible says, still, they kept multiplying, and they kept multiplying. And so it got to the point where the Pharaoh was like, he told his people, you know what, anyone who's born, that's a boy, kill that boy. Kill the baby. And if it's a boy, kill that baby. You understand now. But still, they kept multiplying, multiplying. God has a plan. In chapter 2, that's where Moses is born now. So Moses, when he was born, it says that he was no ordinary baby. Something was special about that Moses. So the mom hid him for three months. And after three months where he couldn't hide him anymore, put him in a basket, put him in a Nile River, and the river banks where, you know, the current of the river took him to where the, the, the daughter of the Pharaoh was. So the daughter of the Pharaoh saw the basket, saw Moses, had compassion on him, and pretty much took Moses as her own. You guys still with me? So now Moses... Instead of dying, becomes part of the royal family. 
Come on, God is behind this. Understand this. God is knowing what he's doing. So now Moses is part of the royal Instead of him dying, he's part of the royal family now. Right? He's educated. He's, he's wise. He's skilled because the Egyptians were very wise. So now Moses is getting the best training, the best education. He is wise. He's powerful. He's a warrior. He's built to be the Pharaoh. Not that he was going to be, but he could have been. He's, he has that type of training. See, we're not talking about just some regular person. He's, he has authority. He has power. He's built for the throne. You understand that? So now in uh, chapter 211, I'm building this up. It's just an introduction. One day in chapter 2, verse 11, just to read a little bit, it says that one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. See, Moses knew who he was. He still, even though he grew up in a royal family with the Egyptians, and he was taken care of, he was pampered probably, he was rich, he had everything. He knew who he was. He knew that he was an Israelite. And he knew his calling. He knew who he was supposed to do. He said that when he went out, when he had grown up, he's about 40 here, he went out to see his own people working hard. That's what it says, right? That's what it says. His own people, were, and he watched them at their hard labor. He's looking at his people, and then the story goes, he sees an Egyptian mistreat one of his own, and he kills that Egyptian. Thinking that nobody saw, he kills that Egyptian and buries him in the sand. Why? Because he's defending his own people. He knew what he's supposed to do. You see, God had a calling on his life. You understand that? The next day, two Hebrews are fighting, two Israelites, and he, get, he comes in the middle, and he tries to play peacemaker. He's like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this to each other? So one of them pushes him and says, well, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you going to kill me like you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Uh-oh. Word got out now. See, he thought nobody saw, nobody knew, but he was wrong. And so he got scared. You see, if you go to Acts, Acts chapter 7 really quick, hold your place in Exodus um, 3. This is Stephen preaching. He kind of gives a quick summary. In Acts chapter 7, uh, verse 20, it says that at the time Moses was born, and he was, at that time Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. You see? When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought, you see here it is, he thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. You see, he understood his calling. He understood what he was supposed to do. The next day Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And so when Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner, got married, had two kids. So you guys kind of have the story, right? The basic, what's going on? See, Moses knew his calling. He knew what he was supposed to do, and he tried to help, thinking, hey, they would know I'm in this position. I'm kind of working on the inside. I'm in this position because I'm supposed to save them. But they didn't understand. They rejected him. 
And now the Pharaoh found out what happened too, tried to kill him. And so he fled to Midian where he got married and settled there. You understand that? Okay, so now Moses flees. He's in the desert. And during that time, at the end of chapter 2, verse 23, during that time it says that during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. So God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. We're building this up. So remember the covenant that we're reading in Genesis that God made with Abraham? So now God, they're crying out to God, and now God is saying, man, I remember the covenant. Not that he forgot, but he's saying now's the time to take action. Now they're crying out to me because there's many Egyptian gods that they were probably crying out to. Now they're crying out to me. Now's the time for God to take action. He says, I remember the covenant. He just doesn't remember, but he says, I'm concerned for them. He's compassionate to them. You understand that? He remembered God is not a guy that he will lie. He has a covenant with his people, and he's going to keep that promise, and he's going to fulfill it. He has a covenant with us. He has a covenant with each and every one of us. And you better believe that he's going to fulfill that promise in our lives. He does not forget. Just imagine the Israelites. 400 years has passed by, and they're probably like, man, this God, he forgot all about us. He's probably lying. He forgot all about us. He's so far away. He doesn't even hear our cries. But that's a lie. Don't fall for that lie because God is saying, I've heard their cries. I hear what they're going through. I see what's going on. And I'm going to fulfill that covenant. I'm concerned. I'm compassionate. God is concerned and he's compassionate for our lives. Amen? So that was the introduction. That's a little review, building it up to Exodus chapter 3. So now here we are in Exodus chapter 3. We're going to read this verse by verse. Amen? Okay, 3-1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Okay, understand this. It says here, Moses was tending the flock in the desert, not his own. He was tending someone else's flock. So you can see how far down he came. Understand, he was the prince of Egypt. He had everything. He was rich. He was powerful. He was wise. He was educated. Obviously, he was more qualified than to tend some flocks. That's not even his own. That's how humble he is. He doesn't even have his own flock. And now he's in the desert. You understand how humble he is now? How, how much he got humbled? He's probably in the desert thinking of, man, what a fool I was. I made a mistake. I'm a murderer. I killed an Egyptian. He's probably thinking about those things. How far down he went. And sometimes we look at the desert as a bad thing. He's in a desert now. He had this. He was in a royal palace, and now he's in a desert. But you see, the desert ain't so much of a bad thing. Why? Because in the desert is where he met with God. You see, he was in a royal palace. He had everything going for him. But he never met with God. He never had an encounter with God. So now here he is in the desert, and we say, oh, poor little Moses. But that's where he met with God. Where do you rather be? In a royal palace or in a, stuck in the desert? You see, he's more qualified. Sometimes we feel that way. Or we could. May God humble us. Oh, I'm stuck here. I'm doing this. And I'm doing that when I should be doing this because I'm qualified to do this. Right? I should be preaching. I should be doing this or whatever. But you see, stay faithful to what God has put in front of you. Whatever task he has, whatever that is that you're doing for the Lord, stay faithful to that. 
because that's where you're going to meet God. That's where God is showing you. He's building a character. He's humbling you so that you can have an encounter with the Lord. Don't ever think yourself better than, than, uh, than, than anyone else and than what you really are, that you're more qualified to do other things. No, maybe you are, but God is teaching you something. See, Moses was more qualified, but God was working in Moses. You see, when he was attending a flock, he, his 40 years had passed. He's 80 here now. And so God was working in his life. He was building character. He was making him humble. You understand that? See, in the deserts is where he met with God, not in the, not in the king's court. That's a beautiful thing. When you're stuck in the desert and you feel you're in a storm, that's when you're going to meet with God. See, no one ever said that they had their greatest encounters with God when everything was fine and dandy, when everything was perfect and everything was going good, and I have the joy, 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 joy in my heart. No, they had their greatest encounters with God when you were stuck in the desert, when you were in darkness, when you were going through the fire, when you were going through a hard time. That's when you have your greatest encounters with God. So that's not always a bad thing, amen? So stay faithful to what you're doing. Whatever's in front of you, stay faithful to it. God knows what he's doing. He's working in your hearts. So then in verse 2, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this, this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses says, Moses said, here I am. See, God got his attention. But notice, you see, I mean, the miracle was obviously that the bush was burning, but it didn't consume, right? God is trying to get Moses' attention. And notice here in verse 4 when it says, when the Lord saw that he had gone over there, who Moses, to look, that's when God called out to him. Notice that. Only when God saw that he got his attention. Sometimes God is trying to get our attention. A lot of times he's trying to get our attention, but we're not paying attention. And that's why the word of the Lord sometimes doesn't touch our hearts the way that it should. Sometimes it doesn't affect us. Sometimes we don't get the full effect of the word of God because we're not paying attention. Because when we are paying attention, that's when God calls on us. And that's when his word changes us and convicts us and shows us, gives us, gives us revelations. You guys understand that? When he saw that he had gone, when he saw that he, Moses, uh, he got Moses' attention, that's when God called out to him. Remember that. He's always trying to get, uh, get our attention, but sometimes we're too preoccupied. Sometimes we're too busy and we don't pay attention to the Lord. And then we expect God to just show himself up to us, show himself to give us revelations and deep visions and all when we're too busy with other things. And he's saying, I'm over here, like in the burning bush. He's trying to get Moses' attention. I'm over here. And we're busy looking somewhere else. Well, be open to the Lord. Be ready, man. Be open. Pay attention to what God is doing. And that's when you will have an encounter with the Lord, just like Moses did. Verse 5. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, and the God of, uh, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. He told Moses, don't come any closer and take off your sandals. Why? Because the place where he was standing was holy ground. What made that ground holy? It was God. It wasn't the place itself. It was God that made it holy. 
What makes this place holy right here is when we're in the presence of God. It's not the tiles. It's not the building. It's not the chairs. It's when the presence of God is here is that we should have reverence to the Lord. You understand that? When we're worshiping the Lord, when we're praying to him, and the presence of God is here just like it was this morning, we need to have a reverence towards him. We need to give him uh, an honor that he deserves. But sometimes we don't, we don't give him that honor. We're worshiping the Lord, and sometimes we see people, they don't care. They don't care. May God have mercy. We should have a holy fear of God. He says, yeah, approach the throne of grace with confidence in Hebrews. Yeah, approach me with confidence. But it doesn't mean you come however you want. It doesn't mean you come with a filthy heart, with a bad attitude, and, you know, I just don't care. Okay, I'm here, whatever, worshiping the Lord. I'm in the presence of God. No, that's not the right attitude. We still have to come with a holy fear. We still have to come with reverence. We still have to honor him because he is holy. Amen? And what did Moses do when God revealed himself to him? What did he say? He hid his face. He hid his face. Why? Because looking at God, he knew that looking at God could cost him his life. He knew that looking at God could cost him his life. We look at examples like Isaiah when he saw God. What did he say? Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. Why? Because he knew who he was apart from God. When Peter said to Jesus, depart from me, for I'm a sinner. When Paul says, I'm the, I'm the, the greatest sinner, I'm the chiefest of sinners. Why? Because those men of God, they knew who they were apart from God. That they were sinners, that they were wretched souls. And apart from God, I mean, they deserved death. And so Moses hid his face because being in the presence of God could have cost him his life. And I doubt that when God told him, take off your sandals, he took his time like, all right, let me, uh, hold on. No, he probably fell down to the ground, prostrate, and hid his face. He probably threw himself down to the ground when you're in the presence of God. And that's the type of respect and honor we're supposed to give the Lord. Verse 7, then the Lord, the Lord said, I have indeed... I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So God is telling Moses, he's remembering the covenant. He's telling, I remember the covenant. Their prayers are going out to me. I hear them. I hear them. I see them. I know what's going on. More than that, I'm going to deliver them. See, God is a God of action. You know, sometimes we could go to our friends and they they sympathize with us. They have compassion. Maybe they'll pray for us. But that's probably the most, right? But God is saying he's compassionate. He sympathizes with us, but more than that, he's going to take action. He's going to do something. He's going to deliver the Israelites. See, God is a compassionate God. You think that, you know, whatever it is that you're going through, you've been mistreated or you're going through a hard time, you feel lonely, you feel, hey, nobody knows what I'm going through. God doesn't hear me. He's so far away, just like we read in the end of uh, chapter 2. But that's a lie. God knows what you're going through. He's close to you. He sees, like he says here, he sees what you're going through. He knows what you're going through. He hears what you're going through. And he's concerned about you. He's compassionate. And more than that, he's going to take action. He's going to do something about it. He just doesn't say, like, oh, man, like with the Israelites, man, these are my people. Man, I just, man, cross my fingers. I hope that uh, things get better for them. I hope they, you know, I hope it works out for them. 
No, he, was, he wasn't doing that. He's close. He's compassionate. His heart's breaking, and he's going to deliver. He's going to take action. Amen? God knows what we're going through. He's not so, some faraway God. He lives in us. He's near to us. Amen? He loves us. Just like the songs that we're singing. He loves us so much. So now verse 10, and this is when it starts getting good. See, I'm just building this up. I'm trying. Verse 10, so now go. He, now God's telling Moses, this is what's going on. I want to keep my covenant. I'm the one who's going to deliver them. And now he's telling Moses, so now go. I'm sending you to the Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, well, who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Now, this is where it gets good. See, God's saying, I've heard their cries. I know what they're going through. This is my covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the one who's going to deliver them. And now he's telling Moses, go ahead, go. You do it. Can you imagine Moses, what he's thinking? He's like, I tried that and I failed. I've tried that before when in my prime, when I was 40. When I was 40 and I failed miserably. You want me to lead? There's about 3 million Israelites. You want me to lead them out of Egypt? Away from the, you know, you expect them to just leave the Egyptian army, to just let them leave? I tried that, and I feel when I was working on the inside, he's a fugitive now. You see, he wasn't so confident now, right? See, back then, he probably wouldn't have asked that question, who am I, Lord, to do that? No, he was, he was ahead of God, you see? You understand that? That when he did that, when he tried to help the Israelites out, he was doing it with carnal weapons, when really he needed spiritual weapons. He, tried, he relied on his own abilities. He relied on his own wisdom and his own qualifications. But he failed. And now that he has nothing, God is saying, go. You see, God is saying, you see, you tried before. You tried on your own, and you failed. You tried to rely on your own wisdom and your own ability, and you failed. Now I'm going to try. You see, you try to bury an Egyptian, I'm going to bury the whole army. You try to help a couple of Israelites, I'm going to deliver the whole nation. You see, that's how God good in taking care of business. That's how good it is. You see, we see the small picture, and we try to do things on our own. We see something small, and we fail. But God sees the bigger picture. He said, hold on. You see, Moses had his calling, right, but his timing was off. You see, now is the time. Now, you see, he spent his first 40 years becoming a somebody, and now his next 40 years in the desert becoming a nobody. And that's the perfect position that we could be in so that God can use us to do great and mighty things. You understand that? You see, Moses had him. God had Moses right where he wanted him. That's a beautiful thing. So Moses is now humble. He's meek. He's contrite in spirit. He's not so confident as he used to be. And that's the way God wants us. That's when God can use us the most, is when we don't rely on our own abilities. You see, Moses was available now. You see, your ability is not as important as your availability. You understand that? He doesn't care about your abilities. He doesn't care about your qualifications. As long as you're available to the Lord, that's all he wants. Because Moses had the ability, he had the qualifications, and he failed. You understand that? Oh, come on now. I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> Amen. So God is sending Moses. And what did Moses say? Again, he's not so confident. He says, well, who am I? I can't do this. Who am I to go and deliver the Israelites? Who am I to go to the, and meet Pharaoh? I'm a fugitive. They try to kill me. They don't even want to listen to me. Who am I? Have we asked ourselves that question? Huh? Have we asked ourselves that question before? When God calls us to do something, 
who am I, right? Who am I to even be up here preaching? I've asked myself that question. Who am I to be an elder of the church? Who am I to go to India last year? Man, I asked myself that question so many times. I was scared, man. I'd never been on a mission trip. And I asked God, who am I to go to India? And I tried to think of all types of excuses, but I couldn't. Nothing good, at least. Nothing good, at least. And, you know, it's just God gave me a peace, and he gave me an assurance. You understand? He gave me the assurance that, that, uh, that God gave Moses right here. So he says, who am I? Who am I? And what did God say? In verse, uh, verse 12, he says, and God said, so Moses asking, well, who am I? And then God says, in verse 12, I will be with you. You understand that? You stop right there. Moses says, well, who am I to go? And then God says, I will be with you. Understand? God never answered his question. He never answered his question. God, he, he was saying, well, who am I, God? And God said, I will be with you. He never answered his question. Why did that answer, was, uh, it, was meant, it was intended to take the focus out of Moses, out of himself, and to put it on the one who really matters, that's God. You see, he's pretty much saying, it's not about you, Moses, it's about me. It's not about you. That's the wrong question to ask. The real question should be, well, who is God? Who are you, God? That's the real question to ask. Because we, we're nothing. We're just but dust. We're sinners. We're wretched souls. We can't do nothing. Moses had all the training that he needed to be a great leader, but he failed. And so now he's humble. He's a nothing. And so God's saying, I will be with you. And I'm going to turn you or nothing into the greatest leader in human history. You see, that's what God does to us. Who am I? Who are we, right? Who are we to, to have churches around the world? Who are we, right? Maybe the pastors here, Adolfo, Griselda, right? Maybe when you were asked to, to lead the ministry, well, who am I to lead that ministry? Maybe you ask yourself that question. Vishmo, right? Who am I? Who are we to go and and preach the gospel in the street. I don't even know John 3.16, right? You've asked yourself that question. Who am I to go and, you know, preach to, this, to these people? We all have a calling. You understand that? We all have personal callings to be pastors and missionaries and evangelists. But as a whole, we all have a calling. That we all have a calling. You see, he says, who am I? God is sending Moses to go. And then God is saying, surely I will be with you. That sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? You see, that's the commission of Moses. And then we have our own commission. That sounds a little familiar. You guys know Matthew 28, 18 to 20? When God says, go and make disciples of all the nations, and surely I will be with you to the end of the ages. That sounds pretty familiar, right? We all have a calling. He's telling us, Metro Praise, go and make disciples. Go to the nations. Preach the gospel, and I will be with you. Because it's not about what you know. It's not about your ability. It's not about uh, how good you are. It's not that we deserved anything. It's not that, that we earned it. No. God is just saying, I will be with you as long as you're available to God. He's saying, just go and I will be with you. And that's all you need to know. When we know who God is and we know that he's with us, we can step out in faith and do whatever he calls us to do. Because he is with us. You understand that? God is with us. Who am I? Who am I? That's, you know, that's probably... Almost pretty much a good question because you're coming to God with being humble, you know. It's the opposite question that's bad when you say, well, I should be doing this. Well, this is who I am. I should be doing this. I should be preaching. I should be teaching. I should be leading this, and I should be doing that. That's the wrong question to ask. 
that's the wrong question. You see, if you have to ask yourself that question, it's because you're not ready. You need to walk around the desert for a little longer. You need to stay in the desert a little longer and let God work on your character. Let God continue humbling you. Do you understand that? Always come with that humble and meek attitude. And that's when God can use you the most. Who am I? Who are we to do what we're doing, right? Man, God is using this church to do great things. Great things. We could ask that question, man, who are we to do that? Well, it's not about us. We haven't earned anything. It's not like we deserve churches around the world. It's not like we deserve all these ministries that we have here. No, it's because we've made ourselves available. It's because we humble and we understand that it's not that we've earned it. It's not that we deserve it. We understand that, hey, it's, it's because God. It's because God is with us, period. Anything that we do, oh, we have 70 churches. Well, God did it. He just used us. Oh, man, when we pray for someone, maybe they get healed. Oh, well, God did it. Glory to God. That's why we give everything to God. We give all the glory to the Lord because it's God who really did it. He's just using us. You see, we are his instruments. We are his tools, man. You understand that? That he's just looking. God is obviously more than qualified to do things on his own. He could have delivered Israel on his own, but he wanted to use Moses. He works with us. You see, that's the beautiful thing. He includes us in his plans. And he wants to use us to do great things for the Lord. We are his instruments. And it's not us that are, the instrument is not feared. The weapon is not feared. It's the one who holds it. You understand that? A gun is not that fearful. But when the hands of maybe David, it's, it's pretty scary. Right? Right? Uh, hand, uh, you know, a knife is maybe doesn't look that dangerous. But when they're in the hands of an expert, it could do some great damage. So it's not about us. We are his instruments. We are his weapons. But when we're in the hands of God, we're going to do damage. We're going to do great things. You understand that? God is good. And he's looking for people that are available for him to use to, great, to do great things, to preach his gospel, to make disciples, to save souls, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons. He's looking for people to use to do those things so that he can receive the glory. Is really God doing it. But he wants to use us to do those things. Amen? Amen. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. You see, God is saying, he's not just saying, okay, this is what I want to do. Go, Go for it, Moses. I hope it works out for you. I'll be waiting here. Man, I'll be waiting. I hope it works out for you. No. You see, you understand? God is going to do it. He's just using Moses. And when God said he's going to do something, you better believe he's going to do it. God is not a God that he will lie. He remembers his covenants. He says, when you bring them out of Egypt, this is where you're going to worship me, which is Mount Zion where Moses got the commandments. This is where you're going to do it. It's not like if it happens, hopefully it works. No, when you do it, this is where you're going to come. You understand that? Amen. If the worship band could just come up. Hallelujah. And God said, I will be with you, and this is a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what should I tell them? So Moses here is asking God, 
well, suppose I do go to the Israelites. And they ask me, well, who, who should I say sent me? Because, like I said, there was gods. There's many gods. And he wanted to pretty much have credentials. Like, who, what, what should I say so that they could know that we're talking about the real deal, the real God, the God of the covenant, the God of our fathers. He's asking God. If everyone could just stand up, as a matter of fact, we're going to close. We're going to finish up. Moses is asking God, well, now he's asking the question, well, who are you? Who should I say sent me? Listen to this, please, if I could have everyone's eyes on me. This is beautiful. God, Moses said to God, suppose I go, what should I say? In verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me. Who are you? God says, I am. I am who I am. That's who I am. <laughs> Revelation 1 says that I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. The one who was and is and is to come. He was, he is, and he will always be. He's the self-existent one. He is unchanging. He's eternal. He has no beginning and no end. There was never a time where he, where he never existed, and there will never be a time where he ceased to exist. He has no beginning and no end. That's what it means. He's like, I am. Because he simply is. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, al- it's almost hard to understand, but it's that easy. I am. Because he always, he always was. He always will be. He forever will be. And I am means it's a verb. That's the name of God. It's a verb to be. Can you imagine? He's establishing his relationship with Moses here. Moses saying, well, who are you? And God says, I am. He's established that relationship. I am what? God is saying, I am whatever you need me to be. You understand that? It gives us the ability to fill in the blank. I am what? I am whatever you need me to be, Moses. Whatever you need me to be to, uh, to fulfill my will, to go and deliver the Israelites. That's why he worked through Moses with signs, wonders, and miracles, because that's what Moses needed to deliver the Israelites out. I am what? I am whatever you need me to be. And that's what he's telling us. This word is for you today. This is an encouraging word. It was for Moses, and it stands here today. Whatever it is that you're going through, whatever you're lacking, he says, I want to be for you whatever you're lacking. I am whatever it is that you're lacking. What is it that you're lacking? He's like, I'm your strength. I'm your hope. I'm your salvation. I'm your power. I'm your healer. I'm your deliverer. I'm your guide. When you're in darkness, he says, I'm the light. When you're hungry, he says, I'm the bread of life. When you're thirsty, I'm the fountain of life. That's what he's saying. He's like, I am. Whatever your calling is, whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever it is that you're going through, God is saying, I am. Because he wants to be for you whatever it is that you're lacking, whatever it is that you need in order for you to accomplish God's will in your life. He wants to be for you whatever you need to continue running the race and not give up. He wants to be for you whatever you need in order for you to fight the good fight. You understand that? You understand that? God is for you whatever you need. That is so beautiful. That is beautiful. He's your peace, man, if you're going through a hard time. When you're feeling lonely and you're all alone, he says, I'm your shepherd. I'm your best friend. 
when you're lost and you're confused, He says, I'm your guide. I'm your counselor. What do you guys need? What are you guys lacking? What do you guys need to fulfill your calling? To continue doing the will of God. To continue running the race. To finish the race. To fight the good fight. What are you guys lacking? And that's the word that he gave to Moses. To assure him that he can do it. That he will do it. He's saying, Moses, I will be with you. And I'm the great I am. Metro praise, go and make disciples. Go, do my will, and I will be with you. And I am, I will be for you whatever you need me to be. Mm. Jesus. If we could just close our eyes and bow our heads. Father God, we love you, Lord. And we know that you have called each and every one of us to do your will, Father God. We all have a calling in our lives throughout the week. You call us to do things, to preach to people. We all have a calling as a church to go and make disciples, to preach the word of God. And we thank you, God, that you said you will be with us because that's all we need. We know that it's not about us. It's not about what we know. It's not about our qualifications or our ability. We will never accomplish anything on our own, oh God. But Lord, you said you're with us. And when we're with you, that's when we're going to do the great and mighty things. Signs, wonders, and miracles, oh God. Gifts of the Holy Spirit, oh Lord. Father God, I pray for every person here. Oh God, whatever callings in their lives, whatever it is that they're going through, any struggle... Father God, anything that they're going through, Father God, maybe they're fighting, oh God, they're in a battle, Lord, but you said you're our victory. I pray that you will supply the need, oh God, that you would equip us with everything that we need, just like you equipped Moses, oh God. Oh, Father God, meet our needs, oh God. Jesus. Oh God. We're a little early, which is, we could just take the next 20 30 minutes. I'm going to open up the prayer stations. If you guys need prayer, over here to my uh, to my right, your left, we're going to have Adolfo and Leilani pray for if you need power. Whatever whatever you guys are lacking, if you need power, your whatever it is, go to them to receive the the anointing, to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you're going through a battle right now, God is saying, I'm your victory. You see, that's the beautiful thing. He just doesn't give us victory. He is the victory. He just doesn't give us strength. He is our strength. He doesn't just give us peace or hope. He is our peace and hope. You see, when we have God in our hearts, that's what he is to us. And that's beautiful. Amen. Over there in the back corner, Eddie and Griselda, they're going to pray for healing. If you guys are sick in your body... Or just need a spiritual healing. He says, I'm Jehovah, uh, I'm Jehovah, um, what does it say? Rapha. You guys know the names, right? Jehovah Rapha. He's your healer. You understand that? Go to them and get prayed for. Over here with the Carrascos. You need a blessing in your life. Jehovah Jireh, you're uh, your, uh, your provider, right? He is what you need. 
Go to them for prayer if you need a blessing in your life. You're going through a hard time. You're struggling. God will meet your needs. And over here, we can have Adam and Liz. If you guys never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, God is saying He's your Savior. He's your salvation. If you need to repent of any sins, if you need to rededicate your life to the Lord, if you just need to confess and just give your life to the Lord, just surrender to Him. Go over here and get prayed for. God is your righteousness. He's your sanctifier. He forgives you. He's your Savior. Amen? So I'm just going to open that up. I desire for everyone to just to go get prayed for. Because we all, I mean, I don't think we all have everything. I mean, we all lack something that God could fill. Or we're low on something. God wants to fill in our needs. He wants to strengthen us. He's our healer. I said it, man. He's the I am. Fill in the blank. That's between you and God. You fill in the blank. What do you need God to be in your life?